0: Welcome to Story Smack. Hey, this is A Real Girl. I am a co founder of Empty Set Entertainment, and you are listening to Story Smack. With me is Scott Ziegler. Say hello, Scott Ziegler.
1: Hello, how are you? Guten Tag.
0: Guten Tag.
1: Guten Tag, yes.
0: Uh, we are coming to you. We're not talking about a specific movie or story. We're talking about storytelling today because we are in the midst of a three week European tour mm-hmm. um and today we had an interesting day it started out totally different than it ended up and it made us think we should check in and tell you what storytelling does to or what uh, a big european big uh, trip like this does to a storyteller
1: yes but, it's been fascinating so far yeah lots of stuff i didn't expect at all so
0: yeah i mean there are things that we expected which so far have been true uh we'll say we started in london Spent a few days in London, then we went to Paris. The uh, London
1: junkies were awesome.
0: Sure, yeah. Awesome. And we are, at this moment, as you can tell by Scott having said Guten Tag, we are in Germany. We leave for Ireland tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already had the junkie meetup and, and gone to the Leipzig book fair. Um, so uh, we'll start to talk specifically about our trip in a moment, but I um, will say this whole European tour started because. You started podcasting in 2005, mm-hmm. uh, got your first book deal in 2007, and there are junkies. We've met many all across the world, a lot in the US and also a lot here in Europe, who have been listening since March, April, May, June of 2005. Yes. They're yeah. very committed. You, you have grown up with them as they have grown up in their life. You have yeah. been part of that because, as we know, you've been podca- podcasting pretty much that whole time with a, ha- a handful of uh, missed episodes, but never a big break. hmm So that was kind of interesting. So we were invited to the Paris Book Fair and the Leipzig Book Fair. Mm -hmm. And um, those, of course, are – one is a French-speaking country. The other is Germany, here in Germany, German-speaking. Obviously, they both speak a lot more English, those countries, than we do. We got along pretty well. We
1: got along pretty well at both of them.
0: But we – the biggest concentration of junkies outside of the U.S. is in – the UK. UK. Mm-hmm. So we had to do that. And the second biggest concentration is in Australia, but um, we could I've couldn't, done that
1: already. I did that in you, 2000. You've
0: done that in 2010. 10? Yeah. Uh, and also, we obviously couldn't add on an Australia joint here. Yeah. <laughs> but we could add, we could go to London, and then we're going to go to Ireland, which also has a high concentration of junkies. All that said, how's your
1: trip been so far? It's been a phenomenal trip. I did travel to Europe once about 15 years ago, as best as I can remember, and... <sighs> I'm a very, my long-term memory is not that great to start with. So it's very great to see places I've never seen, never been to Berlin, never been to Germany. It's very exciting. And then places I've been to before, Paris and London um, and Ireland. Well, we haven't seen Ireland yet, but places I've been to before. And I don't really remember that much of those trips. And I was in different areas than I was on that previous trip. So this has just been, it's awesome. It's really great. We have, I've also been here with a mentality I need to uh, be as positive and polite and professional as possible because it feels like this is a time in the world when it's important to put on a good show as an American to put a make a good impression mm-hmm. a, as an American. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some political talk with some of the, the people in different places, and that's been an interesting to get people's uh, other foreigners' perspective on everything. So that's all factored into. everything factors into the storytelling, everything. Like somebody says, well, how could this have happened in your country? And boom, it's a different question. And I'm immediately thinking, Oh, well, there's this fantasy series I want to write. And could I emulate the same kind of dramatic regime change in this country? And then have, how does that impact other countries in it? So even things as little as political discussions can factor in. So it's just been, it's been a tornado of ideas throughout the whole thing, trying to figure out what's going to make it and what won't.
0: And I, I, should, I should have said at the top of the show, I normally give a spoiler alert at the top of the show. We're not probably going to have a lot of spoilers, but we may talk a little bit about some of the books. So we'll try and give you a heads up if we're going to do that. We'll mostly be talking about Scott's books. But also, obviously, you can tell this is not our normal recording rig. This is our travel mm-hmm. recording rig. We're in an, uh, um, a hotel in Berlin recording. So if it sounds a little not normal, that's why. So I actually want to talk specifically about some of the things that we've done and how they are impacting, from from my uh, outside perspective, some of the things that you've said over the course of the trip so far, kind of interesting okay. from a, gosh, I want you to tell every story you have in your head, but um, like, so we were in London, we, we got there, we had a little bit of jet lag, and then... The London junkies, the UK junkies, went all out. They, uh-huh. we had people brought, uh, showed up in great big numbers, had a great time. A lot um, of shirts, a lot of jerseys, a lot of people who a have Kraken's had, cake, a Kraken's cake. Darren had a birthday that week, and, <laughs> and I'm assuming somebody who loves him very much made him this gorgeous cake that had Kraken's logo on it. Mm-hmm. We'll put a picture in the post. Okay, uh, Darren saved it. He his birthday was on a Monday. The Junkie Meetup was on a Friday, and he saved it for us.
1: He brought cake for the junkie.
0: It was lovely. It had black fondant, and it was bright
1: orange uh, it's, cake itself, and it's it was delicious. So, for all of that that internet meme, I was told there would be cake. We have cake.
0: Yeah, and we met, you know, I I got to meet um, Rachel Guestford, who you guys may know as the um, Commissioner of dino That's right. She's been written into a story, but she's a lovely human being who lives in the UK. We got to meet Boz and his lovely wife. Mm -hmm. We got to meet a million people who we know but don't know. Have you met Tom Merritt in person before? No. Ah, so Tom Merritt is a... An American, a junkie, he lives in Oxford, lives and works in Oxford. He's one of the secret agents mm-hmm.
1: who reads all the things that Scott does. So. It, we'll also have to get a picture of him in this post, because he showed up in a uh, Future Dark Overlord World Conquest Tour t-shirt.
0: Yeah, that had a pla- pink, the, plaid pink, pink plaid tank on With a pink
1: plaid tank. So he made his own plaid tank t-shirt, which uh, if, if you've been listening for a long time, when I started out... It was always about the uh, the bombastic, hyperbole, the bombastic. Yeah. I'm going to conquer the world and crush all the capitals and rearrange the rubble into buildings that look like my head, and the plaid tanks will destroy everyone's will to live. But I love you, junkies, I will kill you last. Yeah. So Tom remembered all of that and brought it all out. It was great. So you
0: and I had a, recently, in the past few months and weeks, and if you listen to the stories, Mac, you've heard this. If you listen to the Sunday posts, you've heard this. Scott's been focusing really hard on word count and numbers, and we set up this um, rule set where if you don't meet your weekly numbers, you have to write fifteen thousand words a week when you're at home, mm-hmm. and if you are normal work day, work week, and if you don't, I get to pick any of the. 10 or so bases that you have and bring them to my house and it will live with me for two months. Mm -hmm. And while you're doing that, while there's a base quote-unquote in Hock at my house, you can't buy any other bases. So at this moment, you've never been in Hock, not once. Not once. So he goes to London and one of the things on your bucket list, you not necessarily see the Tower of London, not see London, not see any of that, Tower Mm -hmm. Bridge, none of that, not walk We stayed quite close to the Millennium Bridge, so we did walk across that. We went to the Tate Modern Met up with a handful. I met up with a handful of friends. What did you do?
1: Went to Denmark Street. And what is Denmark? Denmark Street, street is seven or eight. I don't know. I was uh, I was shaking with excitement by the end of it. Which uh, guitar shops? <laughs> it's seven or eight guitar <laughs> shops all on one street. There's a shop of nothing but amplifiers, and there's a sh- all a shop of nothing but pedals and all of the things that go into making a rock musician extremely happy. It's all packed into one street. There's nothing like it in America that I've ever seen, because right now, uh, Guitar Center dominates everything. Guitar Center and internet sales dominate everything. So to be able to go to one street and go into seven different stores that all have not like not cheapo guitars, they have a full range, all price points, they all had vintage instruments, yeah. they all had brand new instruments, they had everything from high end to low end, and just stuff just packed into small spaces... Um, and it was, it was vibrant. There were people buying instruments all over the place. The staffs were all knowledgeable and helpful. And it was, it was the, up until I went to Paris, it was the coolest musical thing I have ever seen as far as a shopping experience. It was awesome.
0: And we, um, I think we talked about this a little, there's in Nashville and Memphis, I think too, but in Nashville there's Gruen Guitars and they, it's that kind of a shop, but it's, and there's a couple but it's not. Close together, and you can walk to. So it's sort of a an interesting um, for me. It was an interesting thing because you were outside of work, and in this case, I'm using uh, I'm I'm using work to also denote junkie meetups, which mm. aren't work but work. Uh, outside of work, that was the thing you were most excited about about going to London. Go, yep. you know, which is interesting because not necessarily what people think of as London, but absolutely genuinely. F- made was so joyful was, was so great. wonderful was unreal. and that's kind of the point of it's not about just seeing the millennium bridge or just going to the tape or just doing something that big ticket item things it's what will bring you joy and is something you can't do at home so i mm-hmm. loved that you did that um and then we took the uh, under the channel uh, mm-hmm. train to pair the eurostar train to paris and uh paris was a wh- whole bunch of work we had a junky meetup, which was small but fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Paris Book Fair, which was crazy. That's crazy. And then we met with the Parisian agent for Penguin Random House. Yes, and they were lovely people too. We went to their offices, and they were lovely people too. But in Paris, uh, is where the weird. Why we're talking about our trip on StorySmack? Why? Where the weird stuff? As a, you know, I'm I'm your coworker. I'm your business partner. I'm also a fan of your mm-hmm. writing. And this is where things got weird for me, because we went, we had one day in Paris, which was all day, we were free all day to do any kind of sightseeing, and we chose to go to the sewer system in Paris, the catacombs in Paris, Mm -hmm. and then go to Montmartre and have dinner at a uh, cabaret, Mm -hmm. which are all things... I'm sure I could take a sewer tour somewhere in the US. I'm sure I have. I've been to the the dump in San Diego, the garbage, you know, landfill in Mm -hmm. San Diego. Very fascinating. Catacombs, I'm not sure I could do anywhere outside of Paris, or at least I'm not sure I can do back home. And going to a cabaret, I certainly could do, uh, especially in big cities like San Francisco or New York, mm-hmm. doing them all in the same day was it's this day. interesting mix of things. And everything that we did almost all day long, you were furiously writing in your r- little red notebook mm-hmm. about story. And that he carries a little Moleskine notebook to write story ideas or to-dos or stuff like that. <clears throat> so that was kind of interesting because we went to the the sewers because... I am a big fan of Les Miserables. Yep. And literally was in the sewers, like, can you hear the people sing, sing, the like singing songs from the show. And yeah, it was stinky. It was cool.
1: It's cool, but it's, it's it very stinky. It's, it smells of poo.
0: It, yeah, it was stinky. It was warm. It was dank. It was awful. And you immediately say.
1: It's good. This could be a set from Nocturnal. Yeah, obviously like, there are Nocturnals here. Up. Obviously there are Nocturnals there. Um, I posted a picture and. Uh, Talked about it. My buddy Dan Baker's like, yes, but are there giant spiders down there? And he's being a smartass, of course. Here's a picture of a rusted pipe with a giant spider web on it. He's <laughs> like, yes, all of your nightmares exist down here. It's, it's nightmare land. And I thought, well, this is this would be the great setting for uh, a nocturnal-type story. If I go to Europe, it's probably going to be set in Paris. And that was even before we went to the catacombs. Yeah, but but- the, the, sewers were, the sewers were awesome because also the historical perspective – you know, you always hear about Napoleon as this dictator, monarch, conquest-oriented guy who basically started a world war to some extent, right? I'm not a history expert. Don't nobody correct me on this. And then you look at all of the amazing things he did for France and the city of Paris, and the sewer system mm-hmm. was one of them—to bring in fresh water, to get waste out, and all—and that that really was the basis for it becoming the awesome modernized city that it was. It started back then. So you hear stories like that. You know, even a story about Napoleon giving that job to somebody or deciding we're going to do this or whatever money it takes we're going to spend on this, that's an amazing little sub-story that very few, if anybody's probably ever told as a fiction story. So things like that popped up constantly.
0: So let me ask you this, as a, as a non-creative, that surprised me, but I'm guessing uh, people listening to this or your friends who are also creatives and writers are like, oh, yeah, sure. Obviously, I go to the grocery store and there's a story that pops into my head. So mm-hmm. obviously in something that's so different than what I do on a day-to-day basis at home, things are going to spin in my head. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm not asking you to speak for all your creative friends or all creatives at large, but tell me if you think that's true. Do you think that there are people like you who who are, yeah, sure, let's go see those sewers. And then part of your experience became this thinking about this story Mm -hmm. where the part of, for me, that doesn't, not that it wasn't wonderful for me, but I was excited because of a story I already knew a Victor Hugo story. Mm -hmm. uh, And then I was managing the smell and and the wetness (laughs) and all that other stuff. Um, But I think from the looks of things, it changed for you. Do you think that that happens a lot for creatives and writers? I think
1: it depends on the creative. If you are a, you know, uh, singer songwriter who focuses on love songs i'm not sure the sewers would have a lot for you maybe unless you've watched les Miz, for example but if you are you know a chuck wendig or a delilah dawson or someone who writes a lot of very different things Uh you know um I believe anybody like that would go into the sewers and just be like, oh, shit, oh, shit. Like, what, I can do this, I can do this, I can do... Like, it just drives them to do all these different things. But it isn't... I guess my question is this. Like,
0: I saw it happen in the sewers to you. Uh-huh. But I'm guessing, you know, you take the dog to the vet, maybe, when we're back at home, or you have to figure out how to fix the dishwasher. Like, do... I know that wasn't a commonplace, everyday occurrence, mm-hmm. but are does that happen in a smaller way, in smaller... It does uh, situations.
1: It does for me. It's a it's a one to ten volume knob. For example, sure. now if I'm taking the dog to the vet and I've done that five times since I've been in San Diego, the volume's on five. I sure. walk in. There's a different dog. There's a different cat. We take a different path to get there. And it's going to the grocery. Well, not the grocery doesn't store doesn't count because I write sure. biology based things. and There's always something in the grocery store that makes me think of a story idea. But if I'm just going to the bar to get a beer, yeah, that's on, that's on two. It sort
0: of depends on what happens. So, say you went into the vet and there was a llama in your vet in downtown San Diego. That changes things right away. Wait a minute.
1: Right away. And then there's places, any place you go with regularity, I think that volume now starts to come down. Sure. And when you go to anywhere new, it goes probably up to seven or eight and when you go to a place that 's just spectacular you know you, you have to pay to get in here because there 's just not access to the everyday person, then it goes to nine and ten sure. and goes uh, it goes up so speaking of
0: spectaculars we, we do the sewers and then we um, the sewers are not too the entrance to the sewer is not too far from uh, the Eiffel Tower so we see the Eiffel tower we do. Completely touristy t- thing. I'm a big fan of. It is popular the whole world over for a reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we don't go up in the in the mm-hmm. towers. It's also there's a, quite a lot of anti terrorist measures right now, specifically right now while we're here. So there is a lot more security than the last time I was there. Yeah. But we see the tower. It's a gorgeous day, and we keep walking. We go. We you say to me. Have you ever been to the catacombs? And I say nope. And you say yeah, we got to go. I'm like, I'm not so good with small type spaces. I'm not so good. And you're like, yeah, you gotta get, you gotta try. It's worth trying. Mm-hmm. But it turns out you had never been to the catacombs either. You I, were thinking, I've been to the Pantheon. This. And the Pantheon, we didn't go to, but that's where quite a lot of famous people are yeah, buried, yeah. yes, uh, including Victor Hugo and uh,
1: um, Napoleon's remains are there as well. Are there. Yeah.
0: So we get in line, and it's a big, big line, and we wait in line for probably 45 minutes, at which point you realize, you have never done this. Whatever okay, this yeah. is, I've never done
1: this. That goes back to the bad memory. I'm like, I'm saying line, well, I'm assuming I did this before, but I don't remember. And then at some point it clicked, like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it was. So I had no idea what we were getting into. And then it turns out to have been quite moving for you. It was, uh, I would say, honestly, it's a life-changing experience. So the catacombs are a underground system of caverns in Paris where the remains of 6 million people, estimated 6 million people, are buried. And by remains, it's all down to bones at this place.
0: And they're not exactly buried. They're just down in the catacombs. They're down in the catacombs. in the catacombs.
1: So I can't remember exactly what the original purpose of the catacombs was. A lot of it was building materials. Uh, there were other reasons to carve out all of these caverns down there. But then it became a place to store bodies. They had flooding, and they had different problems in different areas. And they had growth. too. And they growth. had growth. Yeah. And they had to take away their graveyards and make space for things. So all these bones were brought into... Not, I've been told the catacombs are as big as Paris itself. Yes. And the area that we went into is highly fenced off with warning signs because I, I personally think this is somewhat of an urban myth, but it's a great urban myth, which you take a wrong turn in the catacombs, or you slip past one of the gates, you can die down there because you'll never find your way out. It's that sprawling and that big. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the part of the catacombs that were reinforced to
0: house all those bones And the part that we can see, Mm -hmm. um, which I think we can only see a small part of the part that housed the bones, but um, have also been reinforced since they were built hundreds of years ago. And there has been a lot of cave-ins and fallout and everything else that it's dangerous to go and it's dangerous to cause vibration because
1: you could have more of that because they Mm -hmm. haven't been supporting it. So you could also die by going somewhere unprotected. And and as you walk through this and it was... Quite a ways down to get to it, and yeah. then we were walking through it, and they're very tight. You know, they're uneven stone floors have been worn by centuries of foot, foot traffic, mm-hmm. and the walls are wet and dank. It's a dungeon. It's every Dungeons & Dragons dungeon you've ever been into. It's bad movies, and you, it freaked you out a little bit. The caverns freaked you out oh. before we even got to, and the life-changing moment is you get down there, and all of a sudden you are in room after room and hall after hall of femurs. Stacked to, I would say, about knee, my knee so height. your femur. So about two feet, two feet high of stacked femurs, and you're just looking at the ends. So you're just looking at the end of the femur, and that is what makes up the foundation of the wall. Then we get uh, we get skulls. Then there's a line of skulls, and I, it may sound silly to tell people this, but they're not fake skulls. They're not plastic skulls. This is not a remake. This is not a model. These are actual human skulls of people who lived in the area of paris centuries ago and then another stack another line of femurs then some other bones and then capped off with and skulls there was also spines there was a sort yes, of spi- their spine was the spine. in the middle yeah the and then that makes a wall that is approximately femur length deep yeah and then behind that that wall is that's cemented together and that is holding in i would say a good Ten to fifteen feet behind it, which is just the bones are piled up. So they made they made decorative walls of bones and human skulls, uh-huh. and then threw the bones that weren't worthy of the aesthetic factor through the mound behind that. And it's
0: well, and I, I think it, they must have been careful about it because it's six million humans uh-huh. is is, and they this was a purposeful move. So. They kind of know. It's not like they're guesstimating this was six. They know. They get a ballpark. They've I mean, got but a it's, a, it's a much more accurate than like, oh, I don't know this looks like. So it, it, they got a good idea, a pretty good ballpark. Mm-hmm. But it, so it's, I, I think they had to be careful doing that as well. But what is so interesting to me as a non-creative was, is this. You're know, like, you're a, you're a storyteller of, well, you can be, of dark, dark humanity, dark situations, dark places, horror awfulness everything mm-hmm. that is not what happened to you in no. the catacombs what happened to you in the catacombs was very uh, fragile and and unique and and about human frailty and that was also quite amazing to kind of watch
1: well that, that that's the light I guess that's the hopefully this sticks with me but for now you go down there and you see you're literally looking at millions of people who time has already forgotten whose name will never be known their families are were either died with them or don't even know they ever existed it's five six seven generations back and yet when you see the skulls and the bones these were adults who lived a full adult life probably at least a 30 or 40 ballpark you know mm-hmm. and uh they will their their entire existence on this planet is completely forgotten and that hammered home to me is everything I do, no matter what I do, I'm going to wind up as a pile of bones. We are I all li- fragile. I would like to be stacked in a wall somewhere. That'd be pretty cool. But I'm probably <laughs> just going to be cremated or have my remains in a hole in the dirt somewhere. And eventually time will forget everything that I have created. Everyone I have touched will die and everyone they have touched will die. So it kind of hammered home the point is we're all going to die anyways. You're going to wind up a bag of bones. You can either be, be a miserable shit about your life and waste your life being a miserable shit. Or you can be like, I'm going to enjoy all of this and look at the bright side and everything I can see. Because no matter what path I take, I will end up in the same place. So I might as well have a good time yeah. and a positive time while I'm alive.
0: And I honestly wouldn't think that you are a miserable shit about your own life. However, I, we, you and I talk about this often, that I, I am a little... I'm, I'm sunnier than you are most of the most time. Most of the time, yeah. Um, and that was kind of an interesting thing because I, I completely agree with you and I didn't see that coming. I didn't see... And obviously you didn't see it coming either. Which no, was I was moving for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but seeing your revelation, there was also moving for me in a... But I don't see you as a miserable shit about your own life kind of human and yet you found a, a moment in... You know, a, a sort of a precious private moment in your life where you're like, Yeah. All this where ashes, ashes, dust in us, as they say, might
1: as well enjoy it while I can kind of thing. It was great. And it was helpful for what you and I do in our business and our relationship to the fans and everybody who's listening right now, because we have a really, really good thing going here. We've busted our ass for a long time and given up, gone without, and a lot of things in order to keep keep making cool things for cool people and feeding quality stories to people. And now we're at the point where we're getting paid to do that. That this is our our living. Mm-hmm. So being the competitive person that I am, uh, all the success I've had in any endeavor I've been in, I start out at something, I suck at it. And then I get an attitude about it. I'm like, I will, I, I will wear you down. I will eventually get to the point where I will beat you on nothing but work ethic alone. And that doesn't, it, it sort of fits the creative world. In mm-hmm. some ways, it's the square peg in a round hole in the creative world. Because mm-hmm. I'm not in competition against Chuck or Delilah we're all writing our own stories and people read everything and it, it, it's not like that. But I, my mentality is still stuck in the athletic where there can only be one, you know? So I, I keep driving yeah, myself and driving myself and part, the dark side of the competitive urge is that you are never happy because there's always another, Oh, I achieved that goal. What about this goal? What about this goal? Cause that's yeah. the way you're wired. So taking a moment to look at a place like that and reflect be like, yeah, I've worked really hard and I've gotten to this place and I'll probably be doing this job for the rest of my life. And I love making the fans happy. I love entertaining them. And some ways that that is enough. That is a quality life I've already made. Absolutely. So I think the Catacombs did this, did this. I have already got my cake and it's great cake and I love cake. Now I'm trying to get some icing on top of that cake. Yeah. But I'm much more happier than oh, I've got a crumb and I want to go get the whole cake. I've already got the whole cake. I just yeah. need to, you know, I can shoot for the stars and do some other stuff, but if I fail, like, what we have now with all the people listening to this is fucking heaven. It's great.
0: Yeah, we, and not too long ago, we had dinner with John, or lunch, I guess, with Jonathan Mayberry and his wife, mm-hmm. and uh, I was quite amazed, and I was sitting with Sarah, and we were both kind of commiserating of the idea that they're so, it's so obvious that, that you bring joy to other people. They enjoy your work, they enjoy your, Career, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and yet the two of you kind of talked about this. Well, in the beginning, you're so opt- of a new story, you're so optimistic, and then you know it's shit, and you know it's shit, and you know it's shit, and then it's worse shit, and then it's worse. Okay, maybe I can solve this, and maybe I can save this, and it'll be fine, it'll be okay. And then, oh my goodness, I don't think I. Okay, it's done. I'm never looking at it again, <laughs> which to me is heartbreaking because you don't get this joyful moment of that that I get out of that same work. You right. can't see it for. There is no best story ever told. There is no great American novel. There isn't the one true story. Its stories are flexible and ma- malleable and they mean the same book means something different to me than it does to somebody else. So they're all good. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh
0: options and uh and it's it was a little we were both kind of uh Sarah and I were both kind of like, "Oh, I that's too bad. <laughs> you can't get any joy from that. So it is. We should move on, but okay. I, I want to say uh, I'm going to shortcut, which is real disservice, to say the food and the drink in Paris is extraordinary. Yeah. So good. Lots, obviously, they're great at pastries. They're great at food. Yep. They're really good at drinks. We went to Harry's uh, New York bar, mm-hmm. uh, which is the
1: origin of the Bloody Mary, and it's super fun. Gee, everything was great. Everything, was, everything great. was delicious in Paris. In Paris, as a city... Now we're in Berlin. I don't know if I'm cutting off on your questions here, but there's the concept that uh Paris did not suffer a major aerial bombardment campaign.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk oh, about that in just okay. a sec, but I want but since you mentioned it, you said going to Denmark Street was it was the top of the heap in your musical it experience crazy.
1: until you went to Paris. Until Paris, and you went. To- and uh, and Denmark Street was a bit of a surprise. I knew there were two or three guitar stores sort of close by, and I planned an afternoon around it. Then found out they're all on the same street. This big incestuous orgy of guitars. It was great. Then you go to Paris, and Paris has a bass store, but um, Denmark Street has bass stores too. So. Sure. But I go to Paris, and there's one called Bass Maniac. So I'm a bass player. It's hard to find my instrument, so I want to go look at that go to base maniac and there's one left-handed base in base maniac You're like oh gosh that's too bad but it, i see it's the same thing it's a street full of stores that aren't open up open yet and i can't remember the name of the street rue de Les- of course it's rue something dozens of stores too long, i think dozens of stores and then we ask the gentleman you uh, have left-handed, left-handed bases. He's like left-handed. He didn't quite get left-handed. La le gache. Then he's oh le gache, and then he left. So he like, walks us out by the hand. He took, <laughs> he took well by the arm. He took you by the arm. Yeah. Walked you out and showed you it's two doors down. <laughs> two doors down. It's nothing but a left-handed guitar store. That's all they have is left-handed instruments. And I'm going to guess about 200 left-handed yeah, instruments sweet. in super high quality pro level stuff. But we get there. And we're looking, I'm looking in the window and I just lose my shit. I'm like, I think I look like the kid in the Christmas story. Yeah. I got my hands and face (laughs) against the glass and then like, oh, and I'm ready to go in and it's it's not open. And (laughs) in Paris, they have all kinds of crazy hours. People sort of set their own hours. But you
0: had, you literally had a tiny, (laughs) not a bad tantrum, but like a, oh, shucks kind of tantrum. Like, are you kidding me? It's like getting to the you like the gates of Nirvana not getting in. Yeah. It's like, what is happening? And as you're doing that, there's a gentleman walking up the street, and he has a, an instrument sl- a bag slung over his back, and he's <laughs> bemused by you going, oh, what? And then he unlocks the door. He's <laughs> the owner. Le, Le Gachet, yeah. Uh,
1: and then I got to spend um, a lot of time there playing a lot of different instruments, didn't buy anything, didn't plug anything in, because if I'd plug things in, it would still be there. I'd still be playing different um. things, but... Um, got to play some acoustic basses, and um, it was it was uh, anyways, it was spectacular. And that had all the different music shops in Paris. Yeah, and now we've hit one guitar store in Berlin, which was great. Yeah, but overall, the individual music shops in Europe are. Phenomenal. They're yeah.
0: great. So we go to the Paris Book Fair on Friday, and then late Friday night we take a flight out. And Paris Book Fair was awesome. There was a signing. P- Parisians are crazy for the Generations trilogy. They like there it. was this gigantic signing. It might be the biggest signing I've ever been to with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great, and they were very happy to meet you and uh, and try and explain how much M and her crew means to them. And it was spectacular. And then we get on a late flight. Uh, come to Berlin, and then we've been in Berlin now three, four days. Mm-hmm. Three, three, yeah, four days. And, um, yeah, it's quite different. It's lovely. Neither one of us have ever been to Berlin. I've been to Germany quite a lot, but I've never been to Berlin. We did the obligatory go to Checkpoint Charlie, go to the Brandenburg Gate. And, again, I'm a big fan of things are important tourist uh, – or important destinations become tourist destinations for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it is humbling to kind of stand at the Brandenburg Gate and see it's just – you know there's cafes and banks and stuff around it um but this is a is a it it is supposed to be you know it's sort of symbolizing this gateway to freedom and and um hope and mm-hmm. and uh, livelihood and, and joy in, in the gateway to peace in the west or whatever Totally normal spot in a way, yeah. except for this gigantic, gorgeous Brandenburg Gate. And uh, you did the, you, there's a picture on your Instagram feed where you had a story idea you were working on, literally Brandenburg Gate in the background. Mm-hmm. And you're like, got it, got to get this. Give me a second. I got
1: to get this. We were, <laughs> we're wa- walking around with no cards and pens and the, and the the red book. And and at lunch, like, okay, well, I'm going to work on this thing now at lunch. And Check by Charlie, which was many, many stories because that was. That in some ways that was the focal point of the Cold War. This Checkpoint Charlie and yeah. Cuba, and the Missile Crisis were huge, pivotal moments in the history of this of this entire planet, and entire cultures and thought and, and schools of government. And we get to it, and now it's a tourist attraction surrounded by people doing tourist things, and right behind it's a McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there's a coffee shop with tchotchkes and and tourists mm-hmm. and gifts, and you're just like, this. Like, war almost started on this spot. Possibly yeah. what would have been the biggest war in the history of mankind. Well, this very spot. Yeah. And, well, I mean, because we had, we had upped the game. Yeah. We had not, people had nukes now, so it could have gotten crazy. Sure. And now it's just, it's perfectly fine. It's all part of Germany. People stop by to visit. And what was freaky about this as a storyteller is, this wasn't all the history of Napoleon, which I've read about in books and I've watched in movies, I was alive during a lot of this. The uh-huh. Checkpoint Charlie Showdown was before my time. But the whole East, West Berlin and the Berlin Wall, I was in college when the Berlin, Berlin wall, wall came, came down. down sure. And now enough time has passed that you go back and the Berlin Wall is a little narrow line through the city of Berlin. And you can yeah. walk over like, what's this for? That's where the fucking Berlin Wall used to be. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing. And so that, from a storytelling perspective... You know, it's always like, how could I work a wall? And how can I work in uh, giant conflicts between two completely opposing schools of thought? And, you know, how can you build up something that seems inevitable? These things are going to go to war. And then in in the story, should they go to war? Because war is fun in a story. Or should they find a way to work their way out of it? And then always, you've got the two heads of state colliding, the states colliding. What are the interpersonal stories of the people around there?
0: Right. And we were talking about, you know, or maybe we heard somebody in that in the checkpoint charlie gift shop kind of cafe and gift shop Mm -hmm. saying like i mean you can imagine like this i i think sort of commenting on oh well geez now everything is touristy Mm -hmm. and i honestly can't me personally i can't think of a better celebration of having peacefully succeeded than you know 400 tchotchkes with the checkpoint charlie sign because that people are learning but people get to sort of ingest it their own way and I know it's a little cheesy but we're a little everybody's a little cheesy we're not we're not all fictional story perfect characters in a story we are cheesy and we
1: are somber and we are goofy and we are whatever Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't mind it so much. I didn't, mind and there was plenty of gravitas. There's yes, right across exactly. Kitty Corn from Checkpoint Charlie. There's a big walled off section with photo murals showing you the history of the wall and what people had to go through to try and get away, and mm-hmm. spots where people died trying to escape East Germany. And so there's there's a and then big chunks of the wall itself. Yeah, there's an enormous amount of humbling. Holy shit, am I leading a lucky life that I don't have to go through this? That's across the street from the coffee shop with the tchotchkes. Yeah, so exactly. if people want to be upset that, you know, that's fine because there's serious stuff there, too. It, it, but it's great. It's an example of a piece, relatively peaceful resolution, brinksmanship, political negotiation, the chess game. Yeah. You know, the Game of Thrones applied to this world with, where things have not broken out into war and how things resolve. So it's, you know, sell your souvenirs. It's great.
0: So the last thing I want to talk about, uh, which is a little more uh, from a business owner perspective, but it was more than that. We went to the Leipzig Book Fair mm-hmm. since we've been in Germany. And that's a very fan-oriented, uh, reader-oriented yes. book fair. And we met Festa Verlag. Festa Verlag publishes you right now in, in Germany. They publish pandem- pandem- Pandemic right that's now. That's what they that Pandemic. They are a genre publisher mm-hmm. who publish what they call extreme horror um, or her, they're mostly that. So they publish pandemic, and it's been doing well for them. And we go to meet them. They bring us out to the book fair, and they are a mom and pop shop, just just like us. Yep. They're a family run business, and they're four, I think, five people all together mm-hmm. um, working as hard as they can. And the owner, Frank Festa, and his wife are literally do they hire they're us they yeah. hire the they don't write but they hire the publishers and they are the um printers and they hire the how to make an ebook and they hire translators and they and frank and inga read a lot of the things that come that aren't in german to see if they want to make them in german and they uh over the course of the day with them they both told us sort of stories about, like, there were a few really lean years where mm-hmm. they really wanted to do this, but they had day jobs also because they couldn't make ends meet and they had little kids and everything else. And you could see it. Like, they, they're such a niche publisher here. There were people who during your signing, we were, there, we were there most of the day at the Leipzig Book Fair, but who would come up and they wanted to meet Frank.
1: Yeah, they wanted to the publish, And they
0: wanted to take a picture with Frank because he brought them this stuff that they love so much mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. He's a rock star. But they were just thrilled to death that they could continue... Uh, they, they were now in a position where it would it, yeah.
1: would, it, it was enough. Like I think I, I described to you as the two of them are in a steady state side of relief. It's, yeah. They are yeah. constantly... Their, their booth was packed. Books were flying off the shelves. My books, other people's books. People would walk in and just give me one of everything and walk out with mm-hmm. a buttload of books. And they were snapping pictures with Frank because he's got a big Facebook... The publisher has a big Facebook page. So he's become... Um, you a know, bit of a celebrity unto himself. You never see that in the world. You never in the world see someone like, oh, who's the editor? Who's the publisher? Can I get a shot with him? <laughs> so that's a big deal that people, yeah, yeah. it's a big deal people want to do that. But you could see in them all of the blood, sweat, and tears they had poured into this business and all the years that they they didn't think it was going to go. And probably just like us, there were times where like, maybe, maybe we tried real hard and this just ain't going to happen. Maybe we right. should step back and think about the next direction we're going to take and then they're like i i have to do i have to keep doing it. i'm going to do this till i die i'm going to do this right. till it crashes all the way and then they got through that and through hard work and quality work and taking care of their fan base now they're in much more of a comfortable position and it's a, it's a steady state of disbelief it's something okay. they can't quite they can't quite accept like We've made it. Wait, we can't think we have made it. We think but we made it. Let's enjoy it
0: for now. We'll be, there's a big piece of that too. Yes. Let's
1: just let's just ride this as long as it rides. It's a double, like, right? It's like yeah. it's ride this as long as ride. Right. Then the other like I don't dare believe what the numbers are telling me that we made it and everything is totally okay. I right. don't dare because if I drop my guard, they're gonna fuck me in the drive-through. So but, there's it's a it, but it was wonderful to watch them.
0: And as a as a from my perspective and my part of our business, it's 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 um redeeming to see that you can do it for the love of the game mm-hmm. for a while and that you know there can be a payoff and we you and I sometimes talk about you want it all, and I want enough, and that's really good for our business right because mm-hmm. I want a minimum threshold, and we can go from there, you want everything yeah and as long as you're not uh quite so heartbroken like, like you were talking about before it's not quite always so fraught for you, that might be really good mm-hmm. um. But I think also from your perspective that it's worth finding a way to make cool stuff for cool
1: people as long as you absolutely can was nice to see too. It was that – I would equate – the catacombs were a life-changing experience and hanging out with Frank and Inga was uh, the the Festus. Mm -hmm. The Festus was another because it was smelling your own kind. And seeing that, yeah, there are other people who have poured everything they have into something and then it starts to pay off and the satisfaction level they have was just delightful. So that was another thing to be like, yeah, take a step back and stop being so angry and worried about everything all the time and stop and smell the roses because the roses smell awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're just about done because we haven't been to Ireland yet. We leave for Ireland in the morning. Mm -hmm. We have a junkie meetup and then I have a bunch of family there and... We're going to see a little bit of Dublin. We've been told many times that we have to go to the Guinness store. We so we'll certainly do that. Yes. Um, however, I want to end with a story about the festives that has not a lot to do with storytelling, but has to do with one of those moments in your life that you hope you don't look back on and regret. Okay. Uh, they sell out of most of Scott's books. They have just, a, like I think it's like four left on the shelf. And they're so excited because it's been a successful signing and they're such nice people and whatever. And they're like, well... Now and you're signing you had finished signing. We stayed there. You signed a few more books even after that, but mm-hmm. the official time for your signing had finished. And Inga says, Well this was definitely success. <laughs> yeah. You should toast with us. And we're like, Okay, maybe that's a German thing. Like it's a con. Like it's a it's normal booths and convention like we could never drink it a like, sell it, like, drink it, a con. But sure, why not? And she pulls out this bottle, and it looks like melted strawberry ice cream. Mm-hmm. And it says on the the front, uh, Unicorn Passion, yeah. I think? In a handwritten label. In a, in a hand, a oh, printed label, anyway. It okay. had colors and whatever mm-hmm. it was. But it was, I should have thought right at that moment, like, okay, where did this come from? But I didn't. And then she brings out these teeny tiny shot glasses and we do, and it tastes just like melted strawberry ice cream. And then she says, you know, we sort of know it's alcoholic, but doesn't taste terribly alcoholic. And then she says, do one more. We should do one more. And I say, well, I think one's enough because who drinks at a con? Who drinks on the con floor? Mm-hmm. They drink at a con a lot, but who drinks on the exhibit floor? And you're like, sure, why That's not? It's
1: delicious. I have another one.
0: And we have another one. And then it hits us that that's way more alcoholic than we thought it was. Yeah. And I'm like a little woozy. (laughs) And then what does Inga say?
1: And then Inga says... I think you said, well, how much alcohol is in this? And he says, I, I don't know. Someone dropped this off earlier. A I don't, fan dropped I, it off. Basically. I don't remember who dropped it off. And I'm like, we just did two shots of a random fluid that a fan <laughs> dropped off to an extreme horror publisher. Yeah. And we have no idea no what's idea. in it, which it's, is a story unto itself yeah. for a future story. <laughs> exactly. And
2: then
0: we're riding home and we're riding back to Berlin on the train and I, I'm doing all the versions of translating unicorn passion as I can mm-hmm. and I realize
1: that might that might have been very naughty it might been might have actually been labeled unicorn jizz kind said?
0: of kind of I think that's what it was because it was in German and she translated it as unicorn passion and giggly and I was like uh-oh. Are you kidding
1: me? I, I uh, spent the ride home waiting to hallucinate. Cause, like, <laughs> I, I have been banned by people I love that say you can't eat the food people mail to you anymore. It's true. Because in the first couple of years of writing, fans would be like, oh, I love your books. Let me send you some cookies. Fuck yeah, Send me some cookies. So I'm not allowed to eat anything that strangers send to me. And here I am drinking what may have been unicorn jizz on the floor of a con. Yeah. So So
0: we will end there. We are headed in the morning to Ireland. Mm -hmm. We'll maybe post this tomorrow. Hopefully. Right before we leave. But um, so far, it's been a terrific, uh, professionally and personally, it seems like it's been a really good trip for you. It certainly has been for me.
1: Huge. Huge. Huge
0: and we will uh, have one more Sunday episode and we haven't we've been missing the story smacks but it's been busy
1: it's been busy Um,
0: but we'll get back we'll post this one we'll get back to our regularly scheduled story smacks and reschedule the things we missed soon I think oh and yes we know we mislabeled the gladiator whole thing yes people keep emailing us that it's only 17 years that the gladiator that we talked about came out so we're aware but writers are bad at math. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. Come back on Sunday to get your next episode. That's
1: 32.
0: Of, of, uh, Pandemic. of Pandemic. Pandemic episode 32. And we will talk to you all real soon.